Hey listeners, Mike here, and I just want to let you know that time is running out on our Strike Master giveaway, where one lucky winner is going to receive a matching set of Strike Master floating bibs and a jacket, along with an 8-inch light flight auger. Register before December 15th at shields.com slash strikemastergiveaway or click the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Today, we are going back to the live event of the St. Cloud Shields Ice Fest, where they had four nights of speakers talking about all things ice fishing. Now, there's over five hours of incredible ice fishing information recorded during these sessions. So in this podcast, we're picking out a few great tips from each of the speakers. We've linked the full sessions in the description below. So if you want to watch the full conversations where they go into detail and visually represent things like rod actions, lure colors, ice shelter features, and tons more great information, just click those links in the description below. We're going to start out this session featuring John Hoyer and Corey Sprangle talking about cadence and learning how to adjust to what you're seeing on your electronics. Here's a snippet from that first session. In ice fishing, that is probably looking back, that's one of my favorite learning curves in fishing. It's when you first bought a flasher, you know, a Vexlar, um, and you were looking down your hole and you realized that you could start making moves that would get you to catch more fish. And at first it was kind of a competition with your friends where like, oh, you caught the most fish out of your buddies that day, your high school buddies, for instance. And then after that, you realize that, you know, maybe the next level is there's actually times, there's timing to when I make those moves or when I make those changes. And I really feel like that's the funnest part of ice fishing. And to watch yourself get that much better at triggering fish where they're like, you gotta go with a pretty dang good fisherman for somebody to outfish you because inevitably we're all kind of fishing the same area. We have our opportunity, we're all dropping down, like I said, an eight inch hole. So like the cream really rises to the top. It's who's practiced the most at like literally tricking fish into biting. Yeah, and it, it comes down to like you said, like I said before, is reading your electronics and like we can start with walleye fishing because walleyes to me are one of those predator fish where I think most people uh, don't fish them hard enough and most like you know I'm what I mean by hard enough is aggressive enough. But these fish are hunters, um, especially when you're dealing with even you know clean water. I mean it is nothing. I tell it to my clients all the time. You know here's a 24 inch, 25 inch rod here. Um, you know, a lot of times people want to jig, if this is the bottom, they want to be down where the, their mark is the Vexlar Flasher, that their mark is almost to the bottom. I got to be down where the fish are. Well, let's say this 25 inch fish swims through here. I mean, six inches, he's maybe going to have to raise his tail up a little bit to see where that is, you know, because his <laughs> belly's rubbing on the bottom. And so a 25 inch fish is nothing for it to go three feet. And what I like to do a lot of times is when I start off walleye fishing, you know, especially if I'm searching and I don't know the mood of the fish, is I want to be high. Yeah. You know, what's three to four feet to a walleye? I mean, his tail, a 25-inch walleye can be at a 45-degree angle, tail on the bottom, and he's already 18 inches off the bottom, and one kick of the tail, he's three feet. And so the biggest thing to keep in mind is, is that. 
Um, distance to any fish isn't hard to overcome, especially when you're dealing with predator fish. One kick of the tail, it can go three, four feet very fast. And so when it comes to walleye fishing, for me, one of my favorite baits to use, and kind of one of my go-tos, um, just, you know, kind of, you know, gives me the best of all worlds, is a, is a blade bait. It's a Seville Vibrato. It's now in the Berkeley line of baits. And this is a little four gram uh, model. Seven is a size bigger gram, um, which I use a little bit more. But one thing I like about this particular bait, especially when it comes to searching for fish or just dialing in and, and finding an active fish, is I do with vibration. A lot of times how I jig this bait is basically shaking it. And uh, this bait to me has the best of all worlds. It's a blade bait. So when I rip it, it vibrates up. Uh, but I can almost always use this as almost a spoon because when I just give this bait just one little flip in the water, it kind of kicks to the side and comes back down. And so to me, not only can I use this bait for searching and being very erratic to call a fish in, is I can get very, you know, I guess uh, erratic when that fish is coming up to it. And a lot of times, you know, I, I get away from the ripping this, you know, where I'm ripping it to vibrate it and I get to more shaking. I'm shaking that bait up and maybe give it one little flip where it just kicks to the side, just changes direction. Any predator fish direction change is a trigger. I mean, how many videos have you seen uh, of a northern or a walleye coming up to a shiner that's on a tip up and it just comes up really slowly, waits for that shiner to just try to kick away and then it grabs it. It waits for that cat mouse game. I'm sure, you know, uh, to you, you might have a different bait because to me, I'm, I'm pretty particular on a vibrato and walleye yeah. fishing. Uh, but to me, it's just one of those baits. Uh, it's also very open. I have a lot of hooks. Um, where, you know, hopefully I'm going to get one of them in his mouth. Uh, unlike, uh, you know, some of those other baits where glide baits, you might get them hooked down the side. If you're dealing with a lot of weight, this is a pretty light bait. They can suck it in pretty good. So one of the cool things, if you're listening, like I picked this up right away. This is one of the things that makes Corey great at fishing. But um, all that stuff he was talking about, he's seen that with his own eyes. He understands how exactly that vibrato works and what each rod movement does to get that action. So whether it's just dropping it simply down in the hole at first, get an idea of, okay, how much does it move when I rip it and it makes this uh, feeling in my rod. Okay, I know that's what it's gonna be doing now when I'm down there fishing. What does it do when I give it that little twitch at the end? What's this little finish move that made that last fish bite? So to have that visualization and understand like exactly how each lure you drop down it's really another benefit of ice fishing because you have this solid state, no bulk yeah. control, usually pretty clear water, and you can drop it down right in front of you and just really kind of see what each lure does. Another like cool example of uh, a benefit of ice fishing. Uh, one other thing you're talking about, um, you know, jigging off the bottom. I like to tell people also, and you know, I haven't really done any ice guiding in my life, but when you um, are talking about airing to the side of higher. I'm always jigging in the three to five feet off for walleyes when I'm trying to call them in, just in a normal natural you know, lake or whatever. Um, but another way to think about it is, how far away can you see a, say your friend standing uh, or something shorter on the horizon versus how far can you see a water tower or even a radio tower on the horizon? So that same scenario is just simple math where um, the higher you are off the bottom, the better the chance is that that fish can see your lure from further away, especially when you're dealing with clear water. Yeah, so. and on top of that, one thing I think uh, a lot of times it doesn't matter what fish <clears throat> species it is, if you can get them coming off the bottom or further away from bottom than they were uh, sooner, you know, obviously if they can see it or feel it or know something's going on, um, and you're above them, they can start either coming to investigate further away, so you're already pulling them off, and that's one of the biggest things to ice fishing. 
you know, their mood a lot of times is a little dulled down because of the water temperature. Uh, but if you can start to get them committing at a greater distance, the chances of them biting because they've already started to commit are a lot greater a lot of times. Sure, yeah. Just because they've already made their uh, mind up a while back that I'm gonna go investigate whatever's going on over here. And so instead of trying to raise that fish straight up from his tail already touching the bottom and you're going up away from him, and now he's gotta kind of pry his tail off the bottom to come up. And it's just one of those things where walleyes a lot of times come in and they'll keep moving. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen this sight fishing yeah. um, around your sonar where you watch a walleye come in and you think that he comes up to you, then all of a sudden he disappears. But they almost always go and figure eight a bait. They'll come back around and make that run, you know, back to your bait. And that's, well, you know, one of those things is creating separation, I feel like. You always want to make sure a fish, uh, even the panfish, but at a smaller scale, but make them think they can't catch up to it because that's their trigger to that, I got to get it now or I'm never going to get it. And so what I always like to do when that fish is coming up to my bait is immediately start to make that move away from it because what this is gonna tell me is right away it's gonna, I'm gonna be able to read the mood of the fish is as soon as I start creeping away from it, you know, creating movement, usually a lot of times it's a fast vibration, a fast shake. Once I start going up away from it, if that fish just starts coming fast, like shooting straight up, then I'm gonna come even faster and just get that fish racing and then almost the trigger right away is just kill it as soon as that mark almost touches yours to give them that almost you know unresistible that i'm gonna get in my mouth because boom it's right in front of my face if i stop i'm gonna run into it and so i might as well open my mouth yeah. and eat it and so it's just one of those things where that that's your key moment i feel like is once you start moving away from a fish is you have to read that fish then is it gonna is it all of a sudden coming faster or did it kind of just stay on that same level and if it starts kind of just staying at the same speed you know, then you kind of got to slow your eyes down and kind of, you know, make smaller, more subtle uh, adjustments. But if it starts coming fast, you can start building separation. I'm sure I've heard you say separation a million times when we talk about yeah. husky fishing. And, uh, Same thing. And that's probably on the highest level of predator fishing is, is you know, uh, how many things that you ran through with me musky fishing. But it just comes down to ice fishing. That is that is how you get bites. Yeah, get away. And that is how you get away with not using any bait ever. For sure. When it comes to walleye fishing. And that's one thing that I really like to do is trigger fish, uh, especially walleyes. Uh, you know, all the years guiding out there, I'd say I probably haven't used a minnow head or any kind of bait for a walleye out there in the last three or four years. And it just comes down to reading a fish and jigging aggressively. And like I said, more, I believe more people don't jig hard enough and uh, make that fish think it can catch it uh, than, than not. I mean. John Hoyer and Corey Springle gave some excellent information in that portion of their presentation, but the full version is absolutely worth a watch, especially when John talks about his experience with sight fishing for walleye and what they're actually doing down there versus what you think they're doing from reading your electronics. Next up is going to be a portion of the recorded segment with St. Cloud Pro Staff members Mike Wrights and Matt Klug, where they're going to be giving fishing tips and talking all things clam. Uh, what is your go-to when fish are finicky or action is slow? I guess it depends on what I'm fishing for. Um, I'm a simple man. I use... For panfish, I use a pinhead minnow and pretty much the chartreuse and the green one 99.9% <clears throat> of the time. Um, if I'm crappie fishing and I'm, I'm using a pinhead minnow 99% of the time, it doesn't matter if they're finicky or not. If they're really finicky, I might go to some bait or a jig and a plastic, but it's pretty rare that I can't catch crappies on a pinhead minnow. Bluegills, obviously, I use meat sometimes, you know, some Euro larva on a small tungsten jig. Um, when fish are finicky, like walleye stuff, um, a lot of times I go big. I'll throw on like a big, you know, uh, the 7 8 ounce Tika now or the, the 5 8 ounce, 
and I just try to get a reaction bite out of them. I'm, I'd much rather just rip the crap out of them and try to try to get an aggressive bite versus trying to play with the finicky fish. Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, <clears throat> I gotta be honest with you, I found very few times last year that uh, I got on a finicky bite. I mean, you know, we fished one tournament on um, Tatanka yep. on a fair bolt, and it was negative 32 in the morning, and we were ripping our pinhead spins as hard as we possibly could, and they were aggressive. I mean, it was it was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And I think, in a real, all reality, it just comes in how you're using the bait. Like the pinhead minnow, um, that's honestly took this whole industry by for storm. Sure. You know, a lot of us, we don't put any bait on it. And for me, yeah. the reason I feel that I don't put bait on it is I take away a lot of the action when I put maggots on or a wax worm or a minnow head. Yep. You take away a ton of that action. The whole point behind that spoon is to be able to fish just the way it is out of the package. And if you do that, just build your confidence. That's the biggest thing. For sure. I mean, if I you don't have confidence in it, you're not going to catch fish. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say that I don't drop down to a, you know, a three millimeter jig or even a 2.5 millimeter jig when things get tough. But I think for the most part, I mean, even on the finicky bites, there's something about that pinhead. It's that perfect streamlined profile. I mean, that blade helps out a ton. And uh, what I actually do to modify these is I take the blade off of the bottom and I put a split ring up top and then I put the blade up on top there. When it comes down, it gives it just a different type of a fall. And uh, yeah, it's that perfect size, it's mm -hmm. that perfect fall rate. It's everything you could possibly use, you know, with fish and a spoon. And I can put this on with confidence without ever putting a piece of bait on it. And I know that I'm gonna get those fish to bite. I, I can tell you that every guide trip I did last year, other than maybe one, all my customers caught their crappies on a pinhead metal because I mean, if they can fish longer without having to rebate, it's beneficial. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is people ask me or tell me that they don't catch fish on it. Well, you can't just put it down there and just hold it. The Rarely are they so suicidal, they'll come up and just smack it. So I'm constantly jigging that, that spoon. That tip is just bouncing like that. And all I'm going to notice is something change in the way that that rod chip is moving. And I'm going to set the hook. So don't, don't expect to just drop it down there and the fish are going to come up and suicide on it. But if you can figure out how to work it, they're they're deadly. Yep. Big thing too that I found with them, fish <clears throat> high in the water column. Don't for get sure. down on those fish. <clears throat> get three, four feet above those fish. Start digging, ripping it hard as you can. I mean, we saw it last year with the live videos. Mm -hmm. You know, you get up above those fish that school, eventually one of them's gonna bust. And when sure. one busts, more are gonna bust up. And that's really the name of the game. I, but there are some lakes like, you know, Clearwater. Oh yeah, I was that's just gonna say that. One, that, that one, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you on that lake someday. Some yeah. days they just don't bite. Correct. <laughs> that That's one of the few lakes that a two and a half millimeter and a year old. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and all of it comes down to cadence too, right? I mean, you know, everybody starts switching their baits right away. And most of the time, you know, say you're using that. I could be using something totally on the opposite end of the spectrum catching fish too, because I figured out the cadence for that bait. So don't just think that you have to use a specific bait because that's what the fish want. You know, I like to just, if somebody's catching fish on something, I'm the guy to try something different. Figure out what they're doing, you know, exactly. that's, that's just it. It's, it's figure out what's going on <clears throat> that day because you may be doing something that's not ticking them right. Remember that lateral line, that does all the work for them. Right, and especially with big bluegills. I mean, you screw up on your cadence they're one gone. bit during that, they're done and yep. it's over with. So yep. that, that'd be a good key of advice is, you know, practice inside your cup or whatever when you're fishing. Just remember what you're doing every time when you're catching a fish. Remember that cadence you made. I know it's hard to say and do that, especially when fishing slow. Yes, exactly. But when you remember that, what they're doing, that'll get those fish to tick real easy. And then you can figure it all out. I mean, 
you know, it's just, Green Lake was a perfect example for that last year. We figured out the cadence of what they wanted, and we were able to get any bluegill to bite, whether it was three inches or Travis's 10 and 7 eighths. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, definitely that's, I think that's huge when it comes, because, uh, you know, I was told by a DNR officer a long time ago that fish have the brain the size of a peak. Right. Uh, didn't make me feel good about that day. <laughs> um, but just to know that just remember what you're doing and stuff like that you know if you remember these things and then get confident with the things that you're using you know we're extremely confident with what we For use sure. try that thing that out but the biggest thing i can say too with that is wait until you're on a good bite when you're on For a sure. good bite pull things out that you would never use figure out how to fish it yep and then figure it out because right. you know you got fish that want to bite below you now it's just figuring out how to use it and then when you build that confidence you're just going to run from there so right so somebody asked what uh my my number one bait for big walleyes is and i would say it's some sort of a glide bait i it's just it's one of the most fun ways to catch them you know when they hit it they hit it pretty aggressively you know this or, or like a, a rattling minnow bait like a lipless crankbait is pretty fun um but honestly there's no one bait that i think i catch more big fish on you know sometimes i catch the biggest walleyes is when i'm pan fishing with a a small drop kick and a one inch minnow on it uh uh sorry uh mackie minnow so don't think that a bigger bait's gonna necessarily catch you a bigger fish. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's hit on the goofiest things you've ever for seen sure. before. Absolutely. So never shy away from anything. Yep. Um, you both said you use Vexlars. Mm -hmm. Vexlars are known, obviously, not to have GPSs. Yep. So do you have any other system that you use that is a GPS for like marking spots? Yep. And do either of those happen to be live scope or 360? And if you could pick one, which one would you choose? Um, I, I run live scope. Um, to me, it's a search tool. I don't fish with it. I've tried. I just, the delay, the lag for me is just a little, uh, I just don't enjoy it. it it's a great search tool. Um, I don't think I drill any less holes once I find the fish. I just drill less holes while searching for fish. But I can tell you that last winter, the fish didn't stop moving. And if it wouldn't have been for live scope, it would have been a tough guiding season. Um, I think, I think for, for ice fishing, if you're looking for fish, I think a forward-facing sonar is probably the way to go. If you're looking for structure ice fishing, I think the 360 would be pretty awesome because then you're going to see those rocks. You're going to see everything around you. Uh, but for me, a forward-facing forward, forward -facing sonar is the way to go for searching. I'm old school. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm getting there. I drill a lot of holes. Um, I drill a lot of holes. Um, biggest thing I can say, yep, I love my Vexar. I love cameras. I think cameras are huge. Um, it's especially for your style of fishing. Yeah, because you're fi you, how often do you fish deeper than ten feet? That's just it. I fish a lot of shallow water, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, it, you'd be amazed at how many fish sit up shallow all year, and how many nice fish sit up there. It's a lot. It's a little bit more work to find them because you've got to find those little traveling areas and yep. stuff in the water. But a camera <clears> to me is perfect if I'm out fishing a little bit deeper. And let's say you don't have live scope or anything like that. What's cool about like with the Vexlars? um is that i can swing that transducer you're not going to get the zone you know that you're looking for but you'll get a good five ten feet out oh, for sure on each side of you and that's something that i like you know when it when it comes down to the nitty-gritty though of finding the fish um good gps um you know Navionics is a great app that you can buy right yeah. off of your phone i use my lorances my hds with the c maps um that is live mapping that's gone in and um you know i yeah, yeah I, I keep my Lowrance on my on my four-wheeler or my snowmobile or it's in the truck if I'm driving on the ice. I just, I always have a map. Now, mind you, my, my Garmin has mapping on it, but for whatever reason, I always grab my Lowrance just for mapping, so. 
I just have a lot of stuff, I guess. You just heard some great information from ICE team members, Mike Wrights and Matt Klug. And I just want to point out a couple awesome tips that we weren't able to give on this podcast because the video link below just does a way better job of giving a visual representation of what they're talking about. Both of these are towards the end of the segment, and that's a tip using shadow lines made from things like snow pockets and pressure ridges and how walleyes use those as ambush points. And a really great tip on tying down your hub houses from Mike Wrights is towards the end as well. Okay, on to the next virtual recording, and this is with the one and only Brian Brosdahl of Northland Tackle and Aquaview. Brian is an absolute wealth of ice fishing information, and I'm sure he's forgotten more tips than I could ever give in a lifetime. And this section kind of jumps around a little bit, uh, and he gives one tip, and it opens up a new related tip. But here's a little taste of the information you can find in that full session linked below, starting with search baits. When I'm targeting walleyes for clients, uh, I like to have a search bait where you drop down, everybody here has, and one of my new favorites is the Buckshot Coffin Spoon. That slab shape kicks out every everywhere, and you can really see uh, how that thing's going to work. I used it in open water this year, as my clients can attest, during the heat of summer, instinctive reactive strikes work really well, so I can't wait to use it in... In, uh, through the ice again last winter, it was fantastic. But I'm also excited about the Brobug spoon. Uh, we finally have a bait that we can use and is designed to kind of imitate a bloodworm, young of the year perch, and here's purple wonder bread. You can see how that looks. That's just fantastic. and. One thing that you'll notice on this, it has the little beady eyes and a slender profile that goes down to a nice treble hook. So there's good gap at this hook for setting the hook on big walleyes or perch, but it drops down fast and the eyes help you to see it on your electronics. But that's a really good one. That's a bro bug spoon. What's your favorite color in that bro bug? My favorite color, I, I gotta say, one of my favorite colors is the purple Wonder Bread. And now this is a great lakes color. This be, if you're on Lake Erie or if you're on uh, Green Bay, this color is really big out there. But I found out here in Minnesota, that's a fantastic, it's a fantastic color everywhere I've been. I'm sure everybody discussed how fish are in the water column. One thing I've learned when I go into other states, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Southern Wisconsin, like I, I've been on Winnebago, when I was doing the Bro Road Show, uh, I've been down there and I've gone ice fishing. And one day, they're not ice fishing out there. I snuck out the first day, there was safe four inches of ice. It was hammering fish on plastics. And I was using gill getters and a uh, Northland Impulse Bloodworm tail and just hammering perch, big perch, bigger than I thought they'd be out there, bluegills, crappies, uh, walleyes out of the same hole. And I know one thing that lake is giant. And uh, I was accessing in a very busy bay because I was the only one out there. And when I left, there was about 300 people by afternoon. And everybody's catching fish and plastics. You go to Minnesota, you better not drive by a bait shop. They got bait here, and that's for a reason. This is a glacial lake area. It's different than everywhere else. This is a place where you want bait. 
fish bump the bait and then they decide to take it. And there, there's times when I'm in uh, North Dakota and I've, you know, I'm an ice fisherman, but I've done the uh, FLW walleye tour, the MWC, uh, I fish the Fort Francis Bass Invitational, I fish the High Falls Bass, I fish the FLW League, I got angler of the year in the FLW League one year. Um, and one thing I've learned, you gotta have bait in different situations. So you need leeches in North Dakota at times, or you just need a puppet minnow now. A natural perch puppet minnow is fantastic over there. Spoons are working. And we're finding out you can rip your way to a stringer fish, but are you gonna have big ones? I've caught more big fish on, on uh, leeches drop shotting on Devil's Lake than I have anything else. Uh, one, one thing to remember too, I wanna touch on ice safety. It's very, very important to be safe on the ice. Why? You don't want to be the statistic that makes ice fishing kind of no fun for anybody because, you know, we don't want to make the news. You know how the news is. Does anybody like news anymore? I still watch it, but I don't. Uh, so don't make the news that way. Let's not make the news. Make sure you have ice picks. You fall through, your fingernails aren't going to be able to scratch your way out. You're going to have to use some picks. I always have picks on me you know, and uh, so you can climb your way out. And then spud bar, and then tie your house to you. You know, it sounds like a lot of stuff, it's not. It all fits, throw it in your house, leave it in their safety gear, and it might not be to save you, you might save a friend. But then bring a friend, if you can trust them with the location. Remember, when you find fish, you work really hard, you study, you go out and find this lake, this little lake in the middle of nowhere, and it's loaded with fish, what do you do after? You don't tell anybody. Because the next time you go there, there won't be nothing in there because people have this snow. So uh, that's a, one thing I want to touch upon. Conservation means don't bleed your heart out on the internet about where you caught your fish. You can give them a few clues, like I caught them in this state, but I didn't catch them by this in this lake by this stump off that resort. You know, uh, there's there's not enough resources out there. So everybody, be careful on the ice conservation. But catch lots of fish, that's an order. Um, do you use much for dropper chains with your spoons? Oh, you know, I've always loved droppers. And they kind of, you know, not the chains, but the actual drop lines have been kind of forgotten. And uh, they kind of originated around Mille Lacs and Devil's Lake in these really tough jumbo perch areas. We've used drop lines as long as a foot, and most of the time six inches, just below your spoon. They come into the spoon, and grab the morsel below. In, in the world of perch, they have fairly good vision. They can't see at night, but all of the panfish out there have binocular vision. Perch just don't have the real fancy binoculars. Uh, so they, they don't have night vision or any of that stuff. But So they're eating small, but not super small bugs. And dropper lines really bring them in because what do you see happening when you're jigging a messy waxworm or a pile or medusa head of waxworms on your bait you see little pieces falling and perch below eating them eating the pieces as they're falling through so a dropper line is really cool and in minnesota now if you if you do that you can't leave the treble hook on there you got to take it off because you can't use two lures on the same line but you can use a dropper line under an attractor or sometimes i'll actually use micro hooks and so gamma catsu makes a whole bunch of tiny micro hooks uh, and i'll tie those on using a real thin line.
We already talked about go-tos for walleyes, so what about perch? Perch? Oh, the Robux one is phenomenal. <clears throat> there again, I'll show you again, and this is why, uh, if you drop that down a hole with those, those little eyes, the perch focus on eyes, and eyes are a huge thing, but these eyes are really shiny, and in deep water, if you shine your aquaview on it, the eyes will flash, and this draws in perch from a distance, and that with a little waxworm hanging on the bottom. And that's one thing I found out, you always wanna have maggots or waxworms wherever you go, and the bait shops usually have them. And minnows and bait, you know, at the price of gas, look what you're paying for gas. Don't skimp on bait and, and hit the bait shops because if you don't, they go away. Stop at Shields, buy bait, or then you're gonna have bait. But put a waxy on that thing, and that is peanut butter and jelly for a jumbo perch right there. Check it out, the Robux phone, I guarantee it or try a different color. Uh, but seriously, uh, why do fish do what they do? We can all talk about seeing fish to the side, but do people really know why they're there? You know, if, I, I ask people all the time, you know why the walleyes are here? No, I just see them and I, and I try to fish for them. Well, if they knew why they were there, you know, in the fall, walleyes actually converge on areas, large walleyes, where there's a spawning run. We still live in a northern climate, have whitefish and tulabies in our lakes. And the lakes that have big walleyes are lakes that have whitefish and tulabies and smelt and stuff like that. And these fish move into the weeds in the fall. And the walleyes follow them in. The big muskies follow them in. The big pike follow them in. And these areas explode with fish all the time. I've been in areas where the water's exploding. And it looks like there's sharks everywhere. And these are famous lakes where people are fishing and they're out dragging aimlessly out on rocks or out in the middle of nowhere on sand where there's not a living thing except a few rusty crayfish grabbing at their bait. And all the fish are jammed in the weeds. And I'm there by myself in a smaller inconspicuous boat with Heather. We're, we're wrapped up so no one can see us. And we're just hammered fish because they follow the fish, the small tulabies. And little whitefish and tulabies don't know that they're just small. They still make that run. They make this mock run and they're jumping out of the water all over the place. You're snagging them on your hook. The musky fishermen know this because the biggest muskies that are caught this time of year are on the returning or going to the weed spawners. And uh, why are these big walleyes holding to different areas in June, in July, in August? If you go to uh, Bemidji, if you go to Lake Winnebagosh, and you're jigging and you're on a rock pile and there's bloodworms and there's mayfly hatches, you're going to hook suckers. And wherever the schools of suckers are, and on the clear lakes you can see that they're suckers. And where these schools of suckers are going through, you will see big muskies and you will see the biggest walleyes of the lake. There's, it's not uncommon for people to see 100 to 200 walleye swimming in a school in water gin clear as clear as air and they're following the schools of suckers. So know your bait fish and hatches. So when midge flies come on in the summer, they, they drop their eggs and creates the bloodworms in the winter, which are in the mud. And they're distributed, distributed throughout the lake depending on where their courtship in the air happens. So it all boils down to food, weather and atmospheric pressure on the fish to have a great, great fishing trip. And then you could see the fish and set the hook without looking at your rod tail.
All right, Brian, we got a whole bunch more questions sure. here. They're flooding in. So um, what people want to know, are you more of an inline spinning or, well, inline reel or a spinning reel kind of guy? I love inline reels. And, uh, in, you know, as far as uh, the straight line, I came up with that many years ago. And uh, it, it kind of started a trend. It didn't survive. But, hey, you know, I remember being there the first year and an inline straight line reel is great for panfish, for wary fish. If you're fishing big bluegills, if you're fishing perch on Devil's Lake and here comes a big perch, and you see their mouths half open and they got still got shrimp inside their mouth and you want them to eat your bait and it starts spinning like it's possessed, you're not gonna catch that perch. If you're up fishing giant bluegills on some of the waters that I'm fishing and you're in the house next to me, if your line's spinning, you just wasted a long drive and a lot of effort on that spin. Now, if I'm fishing walleyes in Red Lake, spin on, you know, and uh, unless it gets real crowded. So I use spinning reels. Most of the time, if I'm if I'm jigging, you don't worry about spin. If you're just gonna keep jigging. You can keep jigging your panfish lure too, but if you stop, it's a repellent. Now, on to the final session of this virtual portion of the St. Cloud Ice Fest. And last, but definitely not least, is Tom Boley. I want to give full disclosure that I did not want to edit anything out of this segment, but that would have put us at a two-hour episode. So I'm just going to say that if you stuck with this segment long enough to get to this part, then it would be an injustice to yourself by not clicking the link to the full session we had with Tom Boley. In this portion, we're going to hear Tom introduce his three keys to success, which are location, presentation, and efficiency along with some tips on how to take advantage of the early season weed bite. Here's a portion of our session with Tom Bully. Like I said, this presentation is going to be all about kind of that early ice season um, success, really based on walleyes. You know, walleyes is kind of my niche overall. If you guys watch me on YouTube, you know that it's a lot of walleye content, and uh, that's what I like doing, and that's what I like talking about. So early ice walleye success, there's kind of a few different ways I like to break this down, really no matter what I'm fishing for um, or the time of year, and that's location presentation and efficiency. Efficiency is my favorite fishing word, um, regardless of time of year and um, ice fishing, it is huge, absolute game changer. Ultimately efficiency is gonna catch you more fish than your location or your presentation any day of the week. So those are kind of the three categories we're going to. And like I said, ask lots of questions on anything um, you guys want kind of along the way here. So I'm kind of getting right into it. Um, no location. A lot of times the way I look at this early ice time frame is I have the luxury of being in a boat almost every day of this late fall time frame. And a lot of times once you get to kind of this late fall post turnover time frame or if you're fishing a river or reservoir system that maybe doesn't turn over, a shallower lake that doesn't turn over, anytime you really start getting water temps like sub 50 degrees like we have pretty much everywhere now, you start to see fish really setting up and where they're going to be in this first ice time frame. And that's a lot of the bites that we're fishing right now. A lot of these shallow water bites on some lakes, it might be a really deep bite, but these locations a lot of times from now until first ice really don't change a lot. And um, you can do a lot of this early season prep work for ice fishing, for your ice early ice success by being out in a boat late in the fall like this. And this fall is a great time to do it because it's still so incredibly nice out. We got just this ridiculously warm fall. And um, you know, it's plenty warm enough to still get the boat out, still do a lot, whether you're a crappie angler and you're looking for crappies in a base and you know, drop those waypoints, or whether you're a walleye guy and you're looking for walleyes on a shallow flat. Great fall to go out and do a lot of the scouting. And one thing I always talk about when I talk about this early ice or this late fall time frame and location, I talk about a split bite. Most of us are probably fishing a lot of natural lakes and um, 
a split bite is often where you, you might have most of your fish really shallow and then some of your fish really deep. And we'll kind of get into a little bit more of this uh, um, location where fish are as we kind of go through this. Um, but you know, this, these are kind of things to look for. And fish go through the same seasonal progression no matter um, what the body water is, what the time of year is. If you're fishing in a river system, think about where you like to fish a lot in early spring. Um, well, you know, that might be a dam or a shallow neck down way up river. As the season goes on, these fish generally spread out through the system, into deeper water, downstream, and a lot of times they'll come back in the fall like this. Same thing happens on a natural lake. A lot of times if you're fishing a natural lake in the spring, we all know our favorite spring walleye spots that go down opening day. Generally shoreline related, shallow water. As the season goes on into that early summer, summer time frame, fish generally shift deeper. And then late in the fall, this post turnover time frame, sub 50 degrees, we have a lot of fish that slide back shallow back to a lot of the shoreline structure. But we also have a, a split bite like I talked about where we'll have some fish very deep and some fish very shallow. So no matter what the body of water you're fishing, these fish generally go through the same progression. And now we're kind of at the tail end of that progression where it's late fall, you know, fish are starting to set up in these couple areas. And that's what we're about to kind of get into right now. And um, so kind of the first early ice location I really like to fish a lot is shallow weed flats. And this makes up, if you guys watch a lot of my content or really any kind of walleye content this time of year, you know, especially in natural lakes, that these shallow weed flat fish can often be a predominant bite that you're gonna be fishing this time of year. And I've probably been fishing this bite now since probably mid-September, because um, we had kind of a cooler September, fish got into these areas, they slid back up shallow, and they're gonna be here well into that first ice time frame. And these areas are often, they can look like a point, um, if they're if you're on a really big type of natural lake, a Mille Lacs, a Leech, a Winnipegosh, you know, this might be a huge flat that runs way up. But a couple of the characteristics I always look for, is one, I like slow tapering. I like it really, I don't want it to be like, you know, three feet, four feet, five feet, 20 feet. I don't want that. What I want is three, four, five, so, and just a slow taper out to deeper water. And whenever I talk about depth, whether that's, uh, you know, a natural lake, a flowage, a river, whatever it is, it's all, depth's all relative. So if you're fishing a lake that has like, let's say 15 foot visibility, a really clear lake, shallow water in that lake might be 13 to 20 feet. If you're fishing a lake that has, let's say, three foot visibility, shallow water might be three to seven foot. So shallow water is all relative. And a lot of times I'll base that off the weed edge, you know, in these, in these dingier type of lakes, your weed edge might be five feet, six feet. And then, you know, that's kind of the depth that I'm looking for, that four to 10 foot maybe. If I'm fishing one of these lakes that has that, a lot more clarity and that weed edge ends at 17, I might be talking about depths of 14 to 20 feet. So it's all kind of relative. But you know, the other thing when I'm fishing these big flats, I'm always looking for spots that on the GPS, that are basin oriented. This is really key to a lot of your success in the fall. In the spring, you might be fishing way up in some little back bay that's warm water the walleyes pull into. This time you're in this late fall, like basin oriented. What I mean by that is big flat that comes out, main basin of the lake right there. And I always put a lot of faith in those big basin oriented spots. I think as fishermen as a whole, we always have this misconception that we always want to find the like the diamond in the rough type spot, this little tiny secret spot that nobody knows about. When in reality, the best spots are always the biggest spot. It's just the amount of carrying capacity that spot can have. It's just fit to hold more fish. Now what you might see on a huge weed flat that's 300 yards long, is it's got you know maybe five, 10 sweet spots on that thing that are small, but there's a lot of fish kind of spread out on the whole flat. So basin oriented, um, you know, kind of that general depth I like to look for a lot is maybe five to 20 feet, five to 15 feet. Like I said, that'll all change a little bit. I like these spots to be slower tapering. And um, you know, the first thing you generally do when you're trying to fish, ice fish these spots is find an edge. And generally the first edge I always look for is the predominant edge on most of the weed beds that we're fishing. And that is that outside edge. And how you can do this ice fishing is obviously drill a bunch of holes and we'll kind of get into that down the way. But 
Walleyes are edulating fish. All fish are edulating fish. It might be a sand to rock edge. It might be a weed to sand edge. It might be a depth variance edge where it goes from 20 feet to 27 feet. Fish love relating to edges, just natural corridors and natural spots these fish like to set up. And like we kind of talked about, you know, this predominant structure that we fish a lot in this early ice time frame or late fall is the, the main um, structure in weed beds, which is an outside weed edge. So a lot of times we'll set up or look for this outside edge. And fish have a couple different ways they'll use this. Most of the time what we see is you'll see, like we said, we might see several pods of fish on that weed edge. And if your weed edge is, let's say, 12 to 13, 14 feet of water, you know, it's never this clear cookie cutter weed edge that you're following. But you might see three, four pods of walleyes working this big weed edge. Now, if you're fishing a very shallow spot, like three, five feet of water in a dirtier system, what you might see is all those fish spread out more linear. Generally, the shallower you get, the less you have fish kind of stacking like this, and the more you have fish spreading out across the bottom. So kind of keep those couple things in mind, but generally the predominant piece of structure that you're trying to find when you're fishing weeds is some kind of outside weed edge. So, you know, kind of going into this, uh, I guess we kind of missed a slide here, but uh, you know, locations, another spot we like to fish in weeds is any kind of inside pocket or inside edge. That outside weed edge is generally the predominant structure and it's always generally the cleanest edge. But another spot, especially when fish slide really shallow, is voids in the weeds. People have this huge misconception when they're walleye fishing weeds that you have this huge stand of weeds right here and a bunch of sand around it and the walleyes are somehow like packed in there like, like you know, like crazy. The reality is that when you have a big pot of walleyes, they're always in a clear spot next to the weeds. And one of the most high efficiency areas is generally these inside pockets if you can find them. Now I use uh, lakes I'm really familiar with. I use a lot of my summer waypoints, but you can imagine this big, thick, dense weed bed. Maybe it's cabbage, maybe it's milfoil, maybe it's coontail, whatever it is. And there's a bunch of fish roaming the outside edge. And then you might have this little seam that goes down it that's just like open sand in it. Those are sweet spots. And once you look at this stuff, like on side imaging in the summer for long enough, when you see it and you don't see fish in those spots, you're almost like, was there really not fish in that spot? Because you get so used to seeing fish a lot of times. It's just in these same spots over and over. And finding these spots, obviously a little bit more difficult. You kind of got to drill that out a lot more. And we'll kind of talk about that in a second here. And since I started doing so much more YouTube, you know, and you know, every, pretty much every time I go fish in the winter now, it's filming YouTube. These inside weed pockets are just high efficiency areas. They might be small. They might not have as many fish in them as the whole outside edge, but they're very confined. They're almost funneled like a little bottleneck in there. So I do so much of my filming in the shack now. Um, not because of choice, because you have to be in there most of the time, you get such better film, that a lot of times I choose to set up on these little tiny funnel sweet spots in the weeds where they're just a lot more efficient. I might not be dealing with the same amount of fish, but every fish in that area is gonna see my bait because it's a real tight spot. So, um, you know, that's definitely a high, high percentage area. Otherwise, inside weed edges, you know, not every lake's gonna have a fishable inside weed edge. Generally what I'm talking about, and these are kind of like the forgotten spots in the weed beds, the really sneaky spots. You might have a weed bed that comes down like this, it hits five feet, you start getting really thick weeds, you go to eight feet, and then there's your outside edge. Well, a lot of times, especially late in the fall, early ice, you'll have a bunch of fish packed on that inside weed edge too. So that's always a spot to look, look for fish as well. And uh, kind of going on here. So, you know, talking about these shallow weed flats, you know, generally you drill until you find the edge. If you don't have waypoints, if you're on a lake that you're unfamiliar with, generally the first thing you're gonna do is go to that big flat that you wanna fish, and what you're gonna do is you're gonna basically just start at, let's say, 10 feet. Do you have weeds or do you not have weeds? If you have weeds, I'll keep drilling out incrementally like five feet. Now it's important not to go like 20 yards to try to find that outside weed edge because you might be in weeds at 10, go 20 yards, it's 13 feet and drill a hole and you're like, oh, we're on the edge, there's no weeds here and start fishing. What you do is you drill that hole, you see there's no weeds and you start backtracking like five feet at a time. So difficult to get in front of fish when you're fishing through an eight inch hole. So making sure you do everything beforehand 
like drilling those holes out, making sure you're right on the edge. It's all about putting the, the numbers in your favor. So when you sneak up right to that edge and the weeds are right here and your hole's right here and it's void of weeds going this way, that's a high percentage spot. These fish love to travel this outside weed edge. And when you're fishing through an eight inch hole and you, you know, it's different than a boat, you can just get around it and the boat and throw casts every which direction. Or in the winter, you know, you're fishing through an eight inch hole where you gotta be just right on top of those fish. And it's so much more efficient um, when you put in that little bit of legwork to start. So once you kind of find that edge, generally what I do is like to follow it around that spot. And this is kind of a long process. I mean, it's a long process of drilling holes to do all this stuff. And generally what I'm doing is I'll find that edge right away and kind of try to follow it down the spot. You might drill two holes here, find the edge here. And then I'm, what I'm doing is I'm always checking it with my flasher. I'll just drill a big line of holes, check it with the flasher and say, weeds, weeds, no weeds, good to go. Weeds, weeds, no weeds, good to go. Until I find that edge like that. The other thing you can do, especially when you're talking about finding voids and finding inside seams of those weeds is uh, using an underwater camera. Super effective way to do it as well. Drop that thing down. Not only are you gonna see fish, and most of the time I use an underwater camera, I feel like it's not even for seeing fish. It's just letting me know like, okay, I'm, ne I'm next to those two big boulders I want, or okay, I'm right on that weed edge, or things like that. So using the camera is super productive as well. Just kind of the only real tool that gives you that full picture of what's going on. And the other thing that I do to kind of find fish and find productive areas on these weed beds is with things like set lines or like fast, aggressive jigging presentations. So when I come into these areas, I mark out my edge. Generally what I'll do is I'll just start flying through those holes with a jig rod. If I start seeing fish there, I'll set like, if I'm in Wisconsin, you know, I'll set a couple set lines out, a tip up, a dead stick, whatever. If I'm in, uh, you know, Minnesota with a couple buddies, we'll use however many lines we'd have to kind of find those fish in the weeds by using set lines. And uh, that's a super productive way to not just, you know, catch fish, but also kind of find where those pods of fish are really at. And uh, we'll kind of get into more how I, you can use just jigging and graphing fish to really kind of hone in on, on, on kind of sweet spots on a spot. So I think we're kind of moving in. You guys can keep, you know, throwing questions for whatever, but I think we're kind of, kind of moving to um, my favorite part of all fishing presentations, which is talking about efficiency. And this is really, I think, kind of what a lot of my um, YouTube videos are based on, or a lot of times, you know, when I think of a bite is, you know, how, how can you be more efficient with it? Or how can you make sure every time, how can you make sure you're always around more fish? And ultimately that leads to just catching more fish. And like I kind of talked about earlier, why do we catch more fish from a boat than we do on the ice? I love fishing as much as the next guy, but I know just know I can catch more in a boat than I can ice fishing. In a boat, you can just survey so much more water. I mean, think about the time it would take you to go across the mud flat on, a, you know, a deep lake or a deep rock bar or a shallow weed edge on a really big lake with side imaging. You can go down and say, oh, there's 10, there's 20, there's 15 here, there's 13 over here, and in 10 minutes you can locate every pot of fish on that weed edge. Ice fishing, totally different. You gotta, it's you gotta drill it out. You gotta go through the, you know, your your sequence of events, drilling it out putting the flasher down, checking for fish, jigging to see if you can get them to pull up. And uh, it's just a much more lengthy process. So how do you kind of maximize your efficiency as close as possible you can to that open water season? And uh, it's mostly about just mobility. And that is kind of the big thing, and being able to just work and drill a lot of holes. And um, we'll kind of start by talking about how I like to drill out spots. We kind of touched a little bit on it. but. Don't be afraid to just drill a lot of holes. And a lot of times that's kind of what it takes. Obviously, if you have a couple people with you, you're gonna be much more effective at doing this just because of the amount of time it takes. If you get a couple, two or three guys on an ice auger, you can just go and drill things out really quickly. Um, but generally, let, let's say I have a deep hump, for example, and that hump kind of starts in 28 feet and comes up to 22. I like to drill holes all the way from that outside edge at the deepest spot where that piece of structure comes down and gets flat right at that seam where it kind of hits that hard to soft bottom line, start your drilling there, hole there, and then I'll drill my way up over the top of that spot and down to the other side of that spot. 
Sometimes you might just see fish on that outside edge. Sometimes you might just see fish on the top. But having the ability to just go through and check very quickly is a huge game changer. If you, you know, we're talking about fishing down an eight inch hole. So if you pull up on a hump, drill a hole right on top of it, sit there all day and catch one fish, you might only be 20 feet away from where there's a hundred fish coming by and you would have caught 25 fish that day. But when you're only fishing down an eight inch hole, you can't cast over to them. So drilling, drilling these spots out is an absolute game changer and going through them very quickly um, is absolutely the way to go. And a lot of times it helps you kind of hone in on these smaller sweet spots. You might kind of catch fish all around you in a lot of these holes, but a lot of times what you'll see is there'll be one area of your grid where these fish are really concentrated. So a lot of times what we might do is we might start our day by drilling this spot out, just crazy amount of holes, jigging through them, catch two over there, catch one here, catch five here in the first you know two hours or hour, set the shack up right there and kind of make that the home base where you're kind of fishing that smaller zone. But it all, it, it pretty much always starts with just drilling the spot out completely and entirely and just getting that whole thing drilled out and giving the option to kind of move around very quickly. And like we kind of talked about, it's always the same thing I always ask myself when I try to explain it to people. Would you fish the same spot in your boat for the entire day, then at the end of the day, ask yourself why you didn't catch a lot of fish? It just doesn't make any sense to do that. And another thing that goes said with drilling all these holes and moving around, it's, it's completely likely, likely that you might not see the fish you really want on spot number one. What might happen is you might drill a whole spot out, fish it for an hour and you catch one fish and you're just not seeing a lot and you're like, oh, well, it's time to move on. Then you go to another spot and do the same thing. Maybe it's a similar spot, maybe it's a different spot. But one advantage this gives you is that by the end of the day, it's kind of this fast paced run and gun style of fishing that's actually super addictive once you start doing it because you feel like you're always kind of on the hunt. Um, that you know, by the end of the day, um, you're gonna say, okay, there's a lot of fish on that, there's some fish on this, and there's a lot of fish over here, but these other four spots are dead. So you're gonna have a really good idea kind of going forward from there, what's out there when you're kind of sampling this much water. Just like being in a boat, if you pull up a spot number one and catch a, you know, one fish, you move on to the next spot, catch you know, five, and at the end of the day, you're like, okay, that was the best spot. It's the same thing with ice fishing, where you can kind of, by covering this amount of water, you get a really good idea of where the most fish are. And it's always kind of the same question. Wait till they show up or hunt the fish down. And sitting through an eight inch hole, your options are always better by hunting fish down. And there you have it. A few of our favorite portions of the four nights of seminars featuring John Hoyer, Corey Sprangle, Mike Wrights, Matt Klug, Brian Brostall, and Tom Boley. We barely scratched the surface of the fishing information given by these guys here on the podcast. So make sure to click those links below to get the full versions of each night and gain some super valuable information to help you be more successful on the ice this season. If you're looking for any of the lures, rods, reels, or any other products these guys talked about, make sure to head to your local Shields or visit us online at shields.com. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening. Wish you the best of luck on the ice this season and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.